0: Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Bridge Church Online today. Hey, can I just take just a moment and right now, I just want to say a big heartfelt thank you to all of our men and women who have served in the military, you are serving in the military, and then so many of you, uh, your family members have given the ultimate sacrifice. I just want to let you know how much we appreciate you, how much we love you. Uh, Can I just be honest with you guys, man, we're able to do what we're doing right now because Because so many of you have paid the sacrifice for our freedom. And so I just want to say thank you so much for that. Uh, You know, I'm reminded of John 15, 13. It's a scripture that so many people have actually lived out. And that is to simply say this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And, And many of you in our services right now, you are doing that and you're doing it willingly. And man, it means so much to us here at the bridge. And so here's what I want to do, guys. I know that everybody right now, they may can't hear you clap, but I want them to feel you clap. So right there, wherever you are, in your living room, in your car, wherever you are, I want you to give the biggest hand clap of praise you can right now to all of our men and women. Thank you guys so much. We love you. We appreciate you. And man, we just honor you today. Amen. In Jesus' name. So, guys, we are continuing in our series today called Insta Family from Chaos to Christ, and so I just wanted to jump right in today, and I wanted to start off with a question. I want to ask a question to the ladies, and then I want to ask a question to the men. So let's start with the ladies first. Ladies, how many of you, when you were a little girl, you dreamed of growing up one day and getting married with the perfect wedding, having the perfect husband? He carried you across the threshold of the perfect house. He loved you. He rubbed your feet every day. Come on, holla at me. He rubbed your back every day. He cooked and cleaned and washed the dishes in Jesus' name. Come on, how many of you ladies right now, you were dreaming of that? Come on, just holler right now. Just raise your hands. Raise your hand high. Amen. Now, let's ask the men. Let's ask the men. Now, let me just say this. Men, if you dreamed of that, right now, turn in your man card. Right now. We know, men, we don't dream that way. So if you're a man and you were growing up, how many of you dreamed one day of getting married and you come home every day to a perfect home-cooked meal, a house that was always clean. You come up to your recliner with a remote control and a glass of sweet tea, and she just lets you watch ESPN all day, every day, romance twice a day. Come on, how many of you men dreamed of that that house? Happening. Come on, holla at me, man. Just say, woo, amen. Yes. Now, let me ask you this question. Ladies and men, here we go. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are still dreaming? How many of you are still dreaming? Because there's a lot of expectations when it comes to marriage. There's these expectations of marriage is going to be this way and that way. And a lot of times when the marriage doesn't meet our expectations, there's all sorts of letdowns and disappointments and hurts and pains and all of these things. And as a matter of fact, for many of you right now, you've been wounded in a relationship. For some of you watching right now, maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm in a relationship that's so bad that I don't even know, is marriage, a good marriage, even possible anymore? And so many people are asking that question, and maybe that's you where you are, is a good marriage even possible? And I just want to answer that for you today, and I just wanted to say that beyond a shadow of a doubt, emphatically, the answer is yes, with a caveat, As long as your focus is in the right place. As long as your focus is in the right place. So what I want to do is I want to jump into Genesis chapter 29. And I want to talk a little bit about a guy named Joseph. Genesis Genesis chapter 29, starting at verse 16. It says, Now Laban had two daughters, and the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you. He's talking about Laban here. He says, I'll work for you, Laban, for seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. Now, I want you to get the picture here. Here's this guy named Laban, and he's got two daughters. One of them was named Leah, and all the thing the Bible says about her is she has weak eyes. I don't really know what that means, but here's what I do know. He had another daughter named Rachel who was all that and a bag of chips. She was like butimus, and so Jacob fell in love with Rachel, but the problem is he had to work for her for seven years in order to get her. So Genesis chapter 29, verse 20 tells us how he felt about the seven years. It says, Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And all of the ladies watching right now, I can hear you saying, ah, ah. How amazing is that? Here is a man who is so in love with a woman that he's willing to work seven years and he said it was just like it was only a day. So you can imagine here comes the end of seven years and the wedding takes place and quite frankly here's where the story gets a little bit tripolar. The wedding takes place. Jacob wakes up the next morning and he gazes into the eyes of what should be Rachel only it's Leah. Now what happened? I mean, Lord only knows. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she wore a veil the whole time. He couldn't see her. I mean, it was the 19th century. You know, there was no electricity. It was really dark, whatever. But Jacob woke up that morning thinking to himself, I married the wrong person. Fast forward 4,000 years into our neighborhood and even though the details of the story are different, the conclusion, I think, is similar. Have I married the wrong person? And that is a question a lot of people today, quite frankly, are asking. And, you know, it's interesting because when you're dating, you know, you, you were in love with each other. You know, you have what I call tingle love. Come on, you know, every time you got around that person, you just felt the tingles. You had the tingle love. And divorce wasn't even an option because you found Mr. Right. You found Miss Right. It, it, it was great. But somewhere along the way, you wake up one day and now you find yourself a little more than roommates. You're barely friends. And quite frankly, marriage just hasn't turned out the way that you thought it would. And so now you're starting to wonder, is this thing even going to work? I mean, you're finding it hard to even picture growing older with one another. You're you're finding it hard to, to imagine yourself swinging on a porch one day, reminiscing. And maybe some of you right now, you can relate to what I'm talking about. Maybe you're feeling like Jacob... When you woke up this morning, you started saying to yourself, I've married the wrong person. The question is, what leads to that? And I want to just give you four things today, four factors that lead to disappointment in your marriage. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write some things down. Number one, the first thing that leads to disappointment in your marriage is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. So many couples today, they buy into this myth that love is this wonderful feeling that's going to last forever. But the problem is we know that's just not true. Love is more than a feeling. Love is a commitment. But the problem is we set each other up for this while we're dating. I mean, if you think about it, when you're dating, you'll go places and you'll do things that after you're married, you'll never do. I mean, come on, guys, track with me. You, you find out that the woman of your dreams, you find out she, she likes the ballet, So what do you do? You set up the romantic evening. You set up the restaurant. You buy her tickets to the Carolina Ballet. And you go and you're sitting there. And while you're sitting there watching the ballet, she's sitting there thinking, I have found the man of my dreams. He loves me so much. And he's sitting there thinking, after the wedding, the only time I'm going to see a guy throw somebody is going to be around a football field, field goal post, pads, and helmets. That's the only time that's going to happen. I mean, even the wedding itself, let's just be honest, sets us up for kind of a fantasy land. I mean, we spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a wedding. Certainly nothing wrong with that, not being critical but you know, you got this moment and, and, and the bride goes off and she's getting the pedicures and the manicures and the facials and the hair and the makeup and then comes that glorious day. The doors fly open and here comes the bride down the aisle with a $10,000 dress and Romeo is standing at the altar thinking, how did she ever choose me? And then they go and they lay on a beach for a couple of weeks on a honeymoon, just basking in one another's love. But then you fast forward one year from that And the bride gets up and she goes into the kitchen only to find her Prince Charming hasn't shaved in days. He's wearing a stained t-shirt. He's wearing sweatpants because his belly now demands elastic waist. Come on, holla at me. Amen. And now top it all off. He's sitting there with a gallon of milk in one hand and a Krispy Kreme donut in the other hand talking about good morning, baby. And then he looks at her and this beautiful woman that he imagined walking down the aisle. Now she's got hair remover cream on her lip. She's got curlers in her hair. She's wearing her grandmama's pajamas. She hadn't put makeup on in over a week. And they pick up right where they left off the night before arguing about money. No wonder he looks at her and says, man, wait a minute. I thought I married Rachel, but I got Leah. No wonder she looks at him and says, I thought I married Thor, but I got Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) This vision of loveliness, let's just be honest, just isn't a reality. So there's the unrealistic expectations. Here's the second thing. There's the unanticipated differences. The unanticipated differences. See, it's interesting when you're dating, they say opposites attract, but when you get married, they say opposites attack. <laughs> you know. When you're dating, you've got these things that 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 attract you to someone, and a lot of times it's the opposites, but then when you get married, now all of a sudden not only were there some opposites, but now all the opposites are coming out. Opposites you didn't realize, and what used to turn you on is now working your nerves. Watch this. How many of you right now, if you're a couple, raise your hand. How many of you in the household, you are the planners? Come on, you're the planners. You plan the trips. You plan the vacation. You're the planners. Any planners out there? Now, let me ask you this. How many of you in the household, you're more of a spin the bottle type person? Come on, wherever the bottle lands, that's where we're going. We drive the car. When the car gets out of gas, that's where we vacation at. Come on, how many of you like that? Now, what about this? When it comes to money, how many of you are the spenders in the house? Come on, you have no concept of a budget whatsoever. Let's just spend till our heart's desires. Now, let's flip that coin. How many of you are the savers in the house? Come on, wave at me. Thank God for the, savers. the problem is when you're dating, you knew there were differences. But now that you're married, there's all kinds of differences. And now within weeks of the wedding, you can almost hear the husband over here saying, let's fix you. And the wife is over here saying, let's fix you. And the announcer is in the middle of the living room floor saying, let's get ready to rumble. All of that is happening because of the unanticipated differences. That's why the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter four, verse two, he says, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. But there's also a third thing that leads to a disappointed marriage and that is unexpected challenges, unexpected challenges. See, close on the heels of of this myth that love is a feeling that just lasts forever is another myth that says we're going to live happily ever after. You know, John Ortenberg, who was an author, a theologian, and a pastor, when he does premarital, premarital counseling, he says to the couple, do you have any idea what death do us part really means? And the couple gently looks at one another and said, no, not really. He says, well, here's what it means. It means dirty dishes, bounce checks, financial crisis, career struggles, time pressure, mortgage payments, fighting over whether to watch the playoffs or HGTV, Watching his hairline recede, his waistline expand, watching her wrinkles form, watching the skin under her arms get flabby. It means navigating family issues, emotional problems. It means crisis of unimaginable proportions. It means loss of loved ones. It means challenges that you can't even imagine right now. And at this point, the couples look at him and say, are you trying to bring us down? And he says, yeah, I'm trying to bring you down out of the clouds because marriage is for life. And can I just be honest with you? Life is hard. And are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Do you have the character to be able to stand with each other? And, and, and what about when the spouse doesn't? Do you bail or do you step up to the plate? See, here's the reality, guys. Every marriage is guaranteed some troubles. You got to be prepared to say, you know what? Divorce is not an option and we're going to work through whatever happens together. Now, now don't get me wrong. I know there, there are some exceptions here, but I got to be honest from where I'm sitting far too many couples set themselves up when they treat marriage like a contract instead of a covenant. It's a contract. A contract is simply saying, as long as you do this, that, and this, then I'm in. But as soon as you do something that's not on my contract, I'm bailing. No, marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Let me just say it this way. Marriage is two funerals and one wedding. Come on, hashtag preach right there. Marriage is two funerals and one wedding. It's two people dying to themselves to become one flesh. That's what marriage is. And you're going to be challenged with these unexpected things that come up in your life. But then there's, there's the fourth thing, and that is an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit. Nobody gets it right all the time. We all mess up. And if you aren't braced and prepared to be able to forgive someone, then you're setting yourself up for failure from the beginning. I love what Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says... Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out, watch the wording here, so that no poisonous root of bitterness, catch the wording, no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You know what he's talking about right there? He's talking about the little things that happen in your marriage. The little things. He's talking about those small things that you're not willing to forgive. The small things you're not willing to get past. And, and, and what happens is those small things serve as a sponge. And before you know it, you're asking the question and you're looking at the person saying, I've married the wrong one and you're not even sure why you feel that way. And it's because that bitter root is growing inside of you. And so again, there's that unforgiving spirit. And and, and these are four of the typical causes that lead to disappointment in marriage. So the question is, what can we do about it? What can you do to save a disappointing marriage? Now, here's what I need you to do. I need you to lean in right now. I need you to write this down. If you don't write this down and if you don't get anything else I say, I want you to get this. At the heart of every marital crisis is a spiritual problem. Let me say that again. At the heart of every marital crisis is a spiritual problem. You've got to be willing to put Jesus Christ, the head of your home, and Jesus has to be the head of your life. Matter of fact, Psalms chapter 127 verse 1 reveals that to us. It says, if the Lord doesn't build the house, the builders are working for nothing. Nothing. If the Lord doesn't guard the city, then the guards are watching for nothing. So you understand that if the Lord is not the head of your house, if the Lord is not the head of your life, then you're, you're just kind of going through the motions and nothing is really happening as it should. Hear me today. It is virtually impossible for you to be gracious when you haven't received grace. It's unrealistic to you for you to expect someone to be a forgiver when they haven't even received forgiveness. You understand that human love will run dry. And so you need a reservoir. And that reservoir that you tap into is Jesus Christ. He's got to be the head of your home. He's got to be the head of your life. So again, how do we save a disappointing marriage? Let me give you three things real quick. The first thing, number one, again, it's all centered around Jesus. We have to ask Jesus to meet our deepest needs. You have to have Jesus to meet your deepest needs. The fact is, we all have needs. You had needs when you stood at an altar. You've got needs when you tuned into Bridge Church Online today. We all have needs. The question is, who are you looking for to meet those needs? The better way to ask that is where is your focus at today? Where's your focus? See, marriages oftentimes get into trouble when one or both spouses start looking to each other to meet their deepest needs. And we oftentimes don't realize what the problem is, and so we like to say things like this, well, my husband is not as affectionate as I need him to be. My wife is not as exciting as she needs to be. Now, now, now hear me today. Maybe your spouse does need to be more affectionate. Maybe they do need to be more attentive or whatever. But before you assume that that's what's going on, here's what you got to ask yourself. Do I have a void in my life that I'm looking for him and her to feel that only God can feel? Is there a God-shaped void in my heart that I'm looking for a person to feel that only God can feel himself? Because if you're looking for somebody to feel something that only God can feel, can you imagine the pressure you're putting on that person? You know what you're actually saying to the person? You're saying, hey, I want you to be God for me. That's what you're saying. I want you to feel this void that God designed himself to feel, but I want you to feel it and it's no wonder that our spouses disappoint us because there's certain needs in your life that you understand only God can meet so let's go back to the story i mean let's let's look at leah you remember leah the, the weak eyed one let's let's talk about her leah lived her whole life playing second fiddle to the younger prettier beautiful sister Knowing that her dad was so desperate to marry her off that she tricks a guy to love her and marry her. And the Bible says that Leah does everything she can to try to win his love, and, and her life actually was consumed with trying to win this guy's love. I mean, let's look at Genesis 29 real quick, verses 32 and 34. Leah became pregnant and had a son. She named him Reuben. Look, it's a boy. This is a sign, she said, that God has seen my misery and a sign, watch the wording here, now my husband will love me. She became pregnant again and had another son. God heard, she said, and I, that I was unloved and so he gave me this son also. She named him Simeon, which is God heard. She became pregnant yet again, had another son, watch the wording. She said, now my husband will connect with me. You see what's going on here? Every time she has a son, her main focus is on her husband. Maybe he'll love me now. Maybe he'll connect with me now. Maybe he'll finally listen to me and notice me now. Her life was consumed with her husband trying to meet her deepest needs. And as a result, she's disappointed over and over and over again until verse 35. Because verse 35 says she began pregnant a final time and had a fourth son. Watch the wording. She said, this time I'll praise God. This time I'll praise God. And she named him Judah. She shifted her focus. She shifted her focus. And when she stopped putting all of her hopes in her husband and started focusing on praising God and serving God, God's plan for her marriage began to be fulfilled. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying because we we do have needs that our spouse can and should meet. But you've got to look to Jesus to meet your deepest needs. But here's number two. You've got to look to your spouse to meet your marital needs. We all have needs. There's his needs and her needs. There's physical intimacy. There's affection. There's companionship. There's conversation. There's honesty, openness, support, security, all of these things. There's some things that I ought to be able to look at my wife and count on her for. There's some things she ought to be able to look at me and count on me for. But at the end of the day, there's some things that only God can meet. And we need to look to Him. But as human beings, we oftentimes struggle with balance and there's this pendulum that, that swings really far one way or really far the other way. And so what generally happens is that if I look to someone else to meet my marital needs, it leads to adultery. If I look to my spouse to meet all of my needs, it leads to idolatry. So we've got to look to our spouse for material needs. We look to Jesus to meet our deepest needs. And some of you like say, okay, pastor, I, I get that. I'm deeply in love with Jesus. I have a great relationship with Jesus, but you don't understand my spouse is not stepping up to the plate. Where Here's where number three comes in. Are you ready? You need to write this down. Number three, nag your spouse until he or she goes on the journey with you. And everybody said, oh no. (laughs) Here's number three. The first word is the most important word, pray. Pray your spouse will go on the journey with you. Pray that your spouse will go on the journey with you. Guys, can I tell you something? One of the most frustrating parts of a spiritual journey is when the wife is ready and the husband isn't, or when the husband is ready and the wife isn't. But I want to be honest with you. Whether your spouse is ready or not, the best hope for a spiritually healthy marriage is prayer. It's to pray. Pray. You, you understand it's hard to pray. You know, excuse me, it's hard to fight with someone you're praying for. I'm, I'm gonna ask my wife to come up at this time. I'm gonna have her to help me. So all of you right now, you, you're sitting in your home. I'm, I just want you to clap for my wife real big right now. Just clap for her. Obviously, I'm married up, amen. <laughs> Here's what happens in marriage. Oftentimes, We feel like I'm my own person. You're your own person. And so we feel like, well, I can do my thing and you can do your thing. And so we kind of turn, we pivot. And she goes her way and I go my way. And we're, we're still married. We're still in the same home. We, 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 we still love each other. But, but, but there's a distance here. She's going one way. I'm going another. And you understand when that happens, you're getting further apart from one another. And you're getting further away from God. You've got to put God at the center of your home. You've got to put God at the center of your life. And so let's just pretend for a moment that that podium is God. And I need to seek Him and I need to be praying for my spouse and, and she's praying for me. And, and watch what happens. There's two things that happen when we begin to seek God. We start seeking God together and we're walking towards Him. We're letting Him be the light of our life and we come together. Notice what happened. Two things. We grew closer together. We grew closer to God. Because we were willing to pray. We're willing to pray. I get it. Some of you right now, you're watching and you're saying, Pastor, you don't understand where I'm at in my marriage. It's chaos. Can I tell you something? You need to get Christ in it. He's got to be the head of your life. He's got to be the head of your home. I have... A hard time fighting with her when I'm praying for her. She has a hard time fighting with me when she's praying with me. I get it. Some of you right now, you're saying, "Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm I'm on the spiritual journey, but my my husband isn't. My wife isn't. I I love First Peter chapter three verse one and two. Read that." You know what it says? It, it talks about how the spouse can win the unbelieving spouse, not with words, not with me nagging her, her nagging me, but with prayer, with reverence, seeking God, serving God, having God to come into our hearts and come into our lives and be the head of our home. And it is then and only then that you can turn that chaos into Christ. So, you know what? I just want to pray with you right now. We we want to pray with you. Some of you right now, your marriage, you're saying, you woke up this morning, and Missy, there's a lot of people out there, and they're saying, you know what, I, I married the wrong person. I get it. But can I tell you something? See, some some of them are asking right now. Now, Pastor, are you, are you promising me that, that if I come to Jesus and I, and I serve Him and I worship Him, that, that all my problems are going to go away and, and that marriage is going to be great? Are you promising that? No, I'm not promising that. But here's what I am promising you. We serve a God that will never, ever disappoint you. Never. And He loves you and He cares for you. And we've got to start looking to Him to meet the deepest need in our hearts and in our lives. And so we want to pray with you. We want to pray for your marriage. We want to pray for your homes. We just want to lift you up. And hey, right now, if you say, you know what, man, I need Jesus to be the head of my life. I need him to be the head of my home. Now is a great opportunity to simply ask him, let's pray. Father, come live in my heart. Create in me a new heart. Create in me a new spirit. God, forgive me of my sins and help me. I need you to be the Lord of my life. I need you to be the Lord of this home. Father, help me and be with me. Lord, I know right now that there are some marriages, let's just be honest, that are on the verge. There are some people right now that got up this morning and And they looked over to their spouse and in their mind they're saying did I marry the wrong person? But Father, right now I pray for healing in that marriage. I pray for marriages to be restored. I pray for hearts to be healed. And I pray right now, God, that there are families more now than ever before that are falling to their knees and they're calling out to you and they're seeking you and they're serving you and they're worshiping you.